We'll read the whole chapter, all 15 verses. Beginning at verse 1 of 3 John, The elder to the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Verse 7, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting none from nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not consent, content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. I have something to say to you, and that is the last words. Greet the friends each by name. Let's get up and greet one another and obey the third epistle of John. John has something to say to Gaius. We should have something to say to one another as well. How do we greet one another? What do we wish for one another? What do we say? Frank Sinatra used to sing this song, I wish you bluebirds in the spring to give your heart a song to sing. I wish you health, but more than wealth, I wish you love. What do we wish for one another? In the Bible, there's a way in which people would greet one another, and you know what it was? It's found in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. It's really a true shalom. And the shalom, shalom is this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Isn't that a wonderful way to greet one another? It's more than just a, hi, how are you? It's a wishing of the best of the best for you. Wishing for your welfare. When I was in Jerusalem a few years ago, um, just walking... Uh, in kind of just a casual way, all of a sudden, a, a Jewish rabbi come up and grabbed my arm, and he took my hand and flipped it over like this, and he tied a piece of yarn around my wrist. And he just went into a prayer, and he prayed for me. 
And he prayed for my health, for my long, long length of life, that our, my family would be blessed, that God would bless me with material possessions and have a good, healthy and happy life. And I was, wow, that, what a blessing that was. And then he held out his hand and said, all right, can you give me a little gift for that? Well, that ruined it all as far as I was concerned. How do we greet, though, one another? What do we wish for one another? You know, Paul's writing, excuse me, John is writing to Gaius, who was a dear brother who was walking in the truth, who he loved in the truth. And one thing he can say about Gaius in this epistle is that not only was he walking in the truth, but he loves the brethren. He truly proved that he was born of God by receiving strangers. And that's one of the backdrops of this epistle, is the receiving of brothers, probably sisters included, but fellow believers that were traveling, that were not natives to the area, but they were coming from foreign places. Gaius had an open heart and open arms to receive them. Just the opposite of another individual that we will see. He had been truly born of God. He was walking in the truth. What do we wish for one another? Paul says this, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is what? That they might be saved. That should be the greatest thing that we want for another person in this world. If you are saved, we don't have to pray that the Lord would save you. Amen that you are saved. If you you are here and you are not saved, our heart's desire, my heart's desire for you is that you will be saved. Number one, now that we are saved, if you are saved, God wants us to go on with Him. In this epistle we have Gaius commended for being one who walked in the truth, who cared for the brethren. He was living out his salvation to the full. We have another commendation about a second individual named Demetrius, who has a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. John wants to commend these brothers for their faithfulness. But in the mix, there is this individual that causes a lot of heartache. Diotrophies. It says of him in the King James, he loveth to have the preeminence. Or our translation read here, he likes to put himself first. What are the criticisms about him? He puts himself first, number one. Second, he doesn't acknowledge authority in verse nine. Third, he speaks wicked nonsense against us, I suppose John is referring to his fellow co-workers in the ministry. Fourth, he refuses to accept travelers in the church locally. And fifth, he he was putting out of the church those who wanted to receive brothers and sisters that were in travel into the church. He was putting those brothers of the church out of the church because of their warmth and hospitality. Hard to believe that such an individual would be found in the church. And I'm going to say and suggest what John's desire is for Gaius is, in verse 2, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. 
good health. There's really not another scripture that we find that comes as close as this to wishing somebody's health as we find right here. As a matter of fact, the health, wealth, and uh, prosperity message people, this is their key verse right here. I pray that all may go well with you or that you would prosper is the way they would be translated in the King James and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. There you got the health and the wealth gospel supposedly because John is desiring the health of Gaius. Why would Gaius possibly be ill? I'm going to suggest because he was having a problem in the church. It it was a sickness for him, as it were, to be in the church with a man named Diotrephes. I don't know how many churches you've been in your lifetime as a believer. Uh, But me as a believer, I can can say that uh, this is my fifth church that I've been a part of since my conversion in 1975. I was with the church for about two years. And I left that church because of legalism. I was the legalist. The second church I went to, I left them because they were the legalists. They refused to baptize somebody who had been uh, married three times in his unconverted days and felt that that was against his current status and therefore disqualified him for being baptized. I thought that was horrific, and I could not tolerate that. I tried to reason with them about a new creation. Old things have passed away. Our past is wiped out. We're new creations in Christ. We don't fashion ourselves after our former life. God sees us as now beloved in Christ, no longer holding our past against us. That was paid for in the cross, but it could not succeed. I had no other choice, but I had to withdraw. The third group... I had to withdraw from because they would not tolerate any alternative interpretation of the second coming of Christ. It had to be this and this only. As a result, because I, concede, I could not concede to the particular popular view that they held, I, ha- I was silenced, I was asked to not talk about it, I was not allowed to do any public speaking and so on, which I was tolerant towards that, but the part that I had difficulty was with that I could not give an answer for myself for the reasons for what I believed. So I felt like I was strangled and I had to leave the church. The next church, my fourth church, I left to become the pastor of this church. And I had the approval of the brethren there. A a little uh, disconcerting to them because it was a paedo-baptist Presbyterian type church. And therefore, to come into a believer Baptist church for them wasn't exactly synonymous with what they believed and they felt a little bit of discord about it. But basically, I got their approval and here I am for the last almost 27 years. I have visited probably over the course of my Christian life about 150 different churches. And that's just in my travels, vacation times, in the Caribbean, going to various churches there, adding them all up, and I didn't add every single one of them, but that would be a very conservative number, 150 different churches I have met and gone to over the course of all those years, ranging from Pentecostal, Presbyterians, Baptist, Congregationalists, Independents, non-denominational, and even have gone to some cult 
uh, gatherings. I've been to a Jehovah Witness Kingdom Hall. I've gone to some of the United Pentecostals and other groups of that sort, fringe groups. Not because I wanted to, to um, learn something from them or because I wanted a fellowship with them, but I simply went to explore what some of their practices were, so I might be able to help somebody else that might be searching or somebody that could be dabbling possibly in a so-called church such as what I just mentioned. Well, Gaius may have had a health problem, and I think it could be at least inferred by John's desire for him to be in good health that that may have been the case. And since John himself was so distraught with Diotrephes, who was a gigantic troublemaker, who was taking a preeminent place in the church in marginalizing the impact of others in the body since he was the superior voice in the church. You know, being sick because of church is not uncommon. I don't know if any of you have experienced it, but... you. Uh, Probably you have, because I know some of you have come out of bad, bad church environments, something similar to what I mentioned in my journey through churches. But let me give you some example. Paul says to Timothy in his epistle, and Timothy we know had difficulties in, his, in the local church. There were those that were desiring to be teachers of the law. There were those that were likely despising his youth and the authority that he, that he had from the Apostle Paul and the gifts that was given, given to him. So Paul has to say to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and your often infirmities. And many commentators would suggest that Timothy probably had an ulcer. And ulcers are oftentimes created from anxiety and pressures. And so here we have an example of another case. Paul had a thorn in his side, not related to the church, of course, directed by the Lord, even through Satan, in something that he had to live with. And he said to the Galatian, you received me, even though I had that infirmity. Epaphroditus, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, was sick near unto death because of his labors for the Lord. Paul says of Trophimus, Trophimus in 2 Timothy 4.10, whom I have left at Miletum sick. And here we have Gaius, Gaius possibly in an unhealthy state that John is beseeching him or beseeching the Lord and wishing him well in being able to overcome that. You know, Paul, when he writes in 2 Corinthians 11, when he talks about all of the trials that he went through, a day and a night in, in the waters and stoned and, and all, all of the different aggravations and persecutions that he endured. And he goes on to say, not to mention the other things, that there are daily pressures on me. My concern for all the churches. Other translations for concern translate for my anxieties for all the churches, or my daily burdens, the Phillips translation, or the daily pressures the NIV has of all the churches. We might think that church life is easy going all the time. It should be, shouldn't it? But sometimes it works in the reverse order. Paul says about Alexander in 2 Timothy 4, Alexander the coppersmith, did me much harm. Wow. 
being hurt in the church. Paul says about certain ones that they were judging him, saying that he was walking according to the flesh. He had Judaizing teachers that were going into the churches. They were false teachers teaching false doctrines. He calls them false brethren. He had to confront them at times. His motives were misjudged. They claimed that he was making the circuit so he could earn money. We have Euodius and Syntyche in Philippians chapter 4. Paul wishes that they would be of the same mind in the Lord. There may have been some conflicts between those sisters. What about the brothers that were taking one another to court and that before the unbelievers? Well, the list could go on and on. And you might say, well, these are Christians? What's going on here? How could that be? It's so contradictory to what we read, what the fruit of the Spirit should be producing in the life of the believer. And that has even with our integrating with one another, of course. When church makes you sick. You know, we're all sensitive creatures. Every one of us. And pastors are as sensitive as anyone else. Um... It might come as a surprise, but if you were at the Ocean City Baptist Conference and heard Brother Moore talk about pastor life and some of the things that he went through, it shocked some of the people. Like, wow, I didn't realize that it was that bad and you go through that much. And I'm not saying this to try to get a pat on the back or, or, or a hug for sympathy, because I know that all of us in some ways are going through some difficulties. And sometimes they are difficulties that we have with one another. Here are some of the things, the everyday type things that do break our heart. And these are not my own. Number one, a desertion of a spouse, a friend or a family member. Two, death of a loved one. Three, a job loss that could cause great financial strains. Four, disappointments and defeat, unreached goals. Fifth, guilt, regrets, pain. We've caused others or sins that we have committed. Do you know that one out of five people, this is a a recent statistic that I read, are on medication for mental illness. Stress causes high blood pressure, depression, anxiety, insomnia, pain and arthritis, and heart disease. 60 to 90% of doctor visits are due to stress from Psychosociological factors. This is reality, brothers and sisters. This is what happens. This is the breakdowns that we all kind of go through from time to time. We have those valley periods in our life when we feel like we are just stretched beyond measure. And we can't handle the pressure and the anxiety is just building us to the heights. You know, there was a TV commercial in the 80s because drugs was in, in such profuse usage in society, American society, that there was a, a movement to try to counteract that. Remember the uh, dare to say no movement and uh, uh, dare to say no to drugs, etc. Well, there was a commercial that was heavily advertised on the TV to warn drug users and what they did to try to prove to them what happens to your brain by drug use. And I'm not speaking now against legal medications, of course. Illegal 
drugs um, or abuse of drugs. What they did is they had a hot frying pan on the stove and they dropped an egg on it and showed how quickly it fried and said, this is what drugs can do to your brain. This is the world we're living in. We are all sensitive. We all are made up of both body and soul. And that's what John is writing here to Gaius. About your body as well as your soul. May your body be as prosperous and as, as fruitful and as uh, spiritually energetic as your body is. And there is a connection between the soul and the body. Listen to uh, Proverbs 18.14. I often say this to myself and to others. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? When your spirits are injured or hurt, when your feelings are hurt, it seems like everything else just collapses right alongside of it. We are super sensitive, aren't we? Mariah Carey, one of the most successful artists of, uh, in history of pop music, was interviewed on a TV uh, one time by a, a reporter, and she, she put it this way. If I hear a thousand words of praise and one word of criticism, that one criticism will eliminate the thousand praises. You know, that's all it takes is just one. It says in the Bible that little foxes spoil the vine. Sometimes just a, a saying, a wrong saying, an attitude by somebody towards you can just shift your whole emotional stability and you're very distraught about it. You can't shake it. This was amplified in my mind when uh, the successor to Martin Lloyd-Jones, his name was R.T. Kendall, and it was a sizable church in London. They said there was about 2,500 members at the time. It had been bigger when Martin Lloyd-Jones was there, but when he left, or died, I should say, the numbers dropped down. But he said there were 2,500 people that were in the church and faithful uh, attenders and so on. And the pastor, Kendall, said that there was one person, one person in the church that had it in for him. He didn't like Mr. Kendall, Pastor Kendall, didn't like his preaching, and Pastor Kendall knew it. And he says, when I would look out in the audience of all of the thousands of people, he says, guess what came to my mind? That individual out of all of them. Now, you would think that a pastor of a large church with this kind of notoriety in a big city like London wouldn't worry about one individual. You would think the Mariah Carey, who's gained tremendous popularity, that she would be indifferent to one criticism that would be made to her. My point is that I think this highlights what I'm saying, and that is how sensitive we are to being injured in one way or another. What are some of the remedies for this? First of all, let's say that the goal of a church should be this. The goal of the church should be to be of one mind and one accord. To be full of grace and truth. To walk humbly in love with the sole purpose to bring glory and honor to the one whose name is above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
But church wants to have a vision that may caption what our vision should be. To be of one mind and one accord, being full of grace and truth, to walk humbly in love with a sole purpose to bring glory and honor to the One whose name is above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord. How then do we counteract these things? We need to be faithful in doctrine. We need to be fervent in love. We need to be firm in being an unleavened body of people in the church. And personally, we need to be, number one, patient. Patient. We need to understand human nature. You have a bad day. I have a bad day. I said something just jokingly. You took it seriously and it became injurious to you. It hurts you. You felt bad about it. It's very delicate, isn't it, sometimes? You know, it's been said that hurting people hurt people. That's usually the case. When it's intentional, it's usually done by someone who themselves are hurting. And because of their solitariness and their hurting, they want to get satisfaction subconsciously by hurting someone else because that brings them with company. Company comes with the hurt so that that you feel like what I feel. I'm not going to be alone. I'm going to make you feel like it. Now, no one would intentionally probably say that or think that, but under the surface, that's oftentimes the case. Hurting people do hurt people. But we need to be patient. We need to understand human nature. We need to, secondly, be persevering. Paul says to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A soldier. Someone who, a soldier is somebody who's locked in with the service that they're a part of to perform. That's their duty. That's their obligation. That is their life goal. They're a soldier. And therefore, what comes in the way of performing that soldier duty has to be minimized because of the task that's ahead of them. Endure hardness as a good soldier. You know, sometimes we can feel so sensitive that it's like, did you ever like hurt your hand maybe with a hammer or you injured it somehow or you got arthritis and someone, you know, reaches out to grab your hand just ordinarily and sort of squeeze you. Oh, ah, oh, watch it, watch it. I, I just, you know, hurt my hand the other day. Well, sometimes people carry along with them these hurts. And the least little thing seems to like magnify it beyond measure. The person that reached and shook the hand, he wasn't squeezing it uh, in some sort of vicious manner, but it was just a casual greeting. But it was taken by the one that had an injured hand as being abusive almost, like an assault practically. So we have to watch our own spirits. That is a key So if we're going to persevere, we have to have a mindset like Christ. Think of the Lord Jesus. And Paul says to Timothy, uh, excuse me, to the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Jesus, what did he take? The reproaches of them that reproach thee have fallen upon me. 
I'm become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. Did that set him off the course of Jesus come into the world and say, Man, this human race is horrible. I got no reception by them whatsoever. No respect, no regards. They treat me like dirt. I'm despised, rejected of men. I'm the song of the drunkards. They mock me, they jeer me. They don't receive me. The Lord came with a purpose. We need to have purpose to persevere. I have to see the big picture and not the little one that can interfere with my persevering. And then thirdly, we need to protect ourselves. Yes, we are all sensitive creatures. We all know our temperament sometimes can go off the, off the charts. If you're a temperamental person like I am, I got mad at my wife and I yelled at her and I had to apologize to her this morning. Uh, and I said, I got to judge myself about that. I need to repent about that. I want to be honest with myself before the Lord. I don't want to live in some sort of a, a artificial belief about myself. I want to be real with God. Even if that means I have to be embarrassed before other people and openly confess that I'm wrong or that I need help or that I'm, I'm, I'm falling out by the way or I'm be depressed or I've had way too many breakouts of anger. I've been, I haven't been kind. We need to be careful in these areas, brothers and sisters. Know yourself. Know your limits. Don't go beyond them. Sometimes I want to get in between situations, but I, I have to back off. Because I, I have to be honestly evaluating myself and say, I'm not really qualified to deal with that. I think it's better off to be left between them rather than me interfering with that. And if I do, I might find that that's going to be a problem for both them and me as well. So we do need to know our limits. We need to protect ourselves so that we ourselves don't get hurt in the, in the mix. Yes, hurting people do hurt people. Now, Diotrephes here was a problem in the church. It's assumed that Gaius was in the same church as Diotrephes was. That Gaius needed to be encouraged in having to survive spiritually alongside of a Diotrephes Diotrephes, who wants to have the preeminence among the brethren. You know, someone said it this way, don't wrestle with pigs. Or rather, don't wrestle with a pig because you both get dirty, but the pig will enjoy it. You know, sometimes people like to pick fights. I was talking to somebody yesterday a Christian brother who came to do my, uh, my furnace, which was long overdue to get cleaned. And in our conversations with one another, he's a brother, he's a deacon in his church, and I try to minister to him and vice versa. And I pray, Lord, minister to me through him as well. And he was just telling me about a certain individual who goes from church to church, and every church he goes to, he causes a problem there. You know, the problem's left... Behind, he moves on and forgets the damage that he created. It doesn't bother him. You see, when you wrestle with a pig, the pig has got nothing to lose. If he loses, he gets 
the mud on him anyway, and that's what he's comfortable with. So you have to avoid people that want to be argumentative and who want to always sort of be confrontational because it will cause you to get dirty and uncomfortable in that, whereas the one that you're wrestling with doesn't feel that way at all. We need to turn our churches, or our church, and I'm not picking on our church or anybody in this church, in case anybody's wondering. I'm trying to use some practical teachings out of the book of 3 John, which seems to me that Gaius needed to be encouraged, and he needed this benediction, if you will, I pray that it all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That was a strong desire that John had for Gaius in that local church. So something there, and it was diatrophies particularly here, but it can be in your church, any church, our church, whatever, where you have maybe not a diatrophies, but there's a problem. Or you have a problem with somebody. Or somebody has a problem with you. These things can be worked out. I remember a brother preaching about um, how easily Christians leave churches because it, sometimes a, the kitchen gets too hot and they don't want to have the heat or take the heat. He says, you know, it was, I believe, Samuel's two sons that were at the door of the tabernacle that were practicing immorality with the woman that came to bring offerings. Should, should they have left the tabernacle because of the behavior of those individuals? No. We can't make the individuals the grounds for our departure. Now, that's not to say that the church should ignore keeping itself unleavened. We should. That's important. We can't let sin go unjudged, especially if it's flagrant, if it's serious of a serious nature that Scripture would be addressing that needs attendance from the leadership and the body at large to be acted upon, that's not what we're talking about. Poor Gaius. He had to exist with a diatrophies. It must have been tough for him to come to church, if we can call coming to the gathering of the church, to do church of praising and worshiping the Lord, of gathering together for mutual edification, for prophesying, for all of the psalm readings, for all the things that would be to the glory and honor of God and to the blessing of our own personal souls. It's, it's a sad day when you have to feel unhappy when the alarm goes off and it's Sunday morning and i got to go to church. It's even sadder when you feel like you can't go to that church because of some problem that you may have with a diatrophies individual or some particular person in that church. That needs to be counteracted, brothers and sisters. Let's not lay down. Let us be proactive. Let's turn our churches from being a battle zone into an infirmary. From being a sick ward into a gymnasium. From being a den of thieves into a house of prayer. From being a wrestling ring into a circle of praise. Psalm 22 says, In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. I love gathering with the brothers. 
I'm happy when they say, let us go up unto the house of the Lord. I love to see the faces of my brothers and sisters and I hope you do too. I hope we realize that every one of us here that is born again, who has life in Christ, is one for whom Jesus died. That's how precious you are. You are one for whom Christ died? Wow. If you're that precious to Him, I need to value you as being precious. I need to see you in that light and not in another light that might be on the negative side of things. If you can't see Christ in your brethren, see your brethren in Christ. Sometimes we don't always display the goodness of the Lord, the virtues that we have in the new nature that the Lord has given us. And sometimes we resort more to the old man attitude and ways than the new man. And I might be displaying more of my old man than of my new man. And that old man is very distasteful to you. How I need to judge myself. How I need to hear things in a gathering of the church for Bible study, for prayer, for the preaching of the Word, for worship and so on. Those are the places where I can get the edification and be built up on my most holy faith. So that I am not going to church to make it a battleground or to be a part of the sick ward or the den of thieves or wrestling ring. But rather I want it to be a place of of, of healing, a, a, a place for exercise, a place for prayer, a place for praise. We want to love the brethren. We want to love one another. I get a letter from a, um, a missionary just this past week um, who had been laboring faithfully and fervently for a number of, of years in this particular foreign country uh, with the prospect of planting a church. But unfortunately, because of the mix of the body of people there, it was a very difficult situation for him. And he mentioned some of these things, that there was all kinds of you know, charismatic sympathies and teachings that were being espoused by Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn and Joyce Meyer and Joel Olstein and Creflo Dollar and so on. And some of them were bringing over their beliefs and practices from the uh, Orthodox Church uh, into the evangelical Baptistic church um, and all other kinds of complicating matters that just sort of worked against the chemistry of the local church. A church that first needs to be based on doctrine, sound doctrine. That's important. Those are the tracks that keep the train going in the right direction. If the If the... Doctrine's wrong. The practice at some point is going to go askew. Doctrine can secure it. It's not going to be a necessary uh, positive that it's absolute that it's going to keep the church and individual from going astray. Because any one of us are capable of doing that. But it's a good foundation for every church to build itself upon. We need to work with one another. We need to be patient with one another. We need to be persevering. We need to be willing to endure the hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you know, every one of us lives in kind of two worlds. You know, here's our church world, if I can call it that. And then you've got the, the, the profane world, the, the world outside there, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in your home, in your privacy. You know, it's nice when our 
when, when wherever we are, with the body of believers or with a body of unbelievers, that either way we're all under, in each under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Like Paul says, always bearing about the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. If I'm on vacation and just going into who knows where land for just a time of relaxation, I'm taking the Lord with me. He's with me. He says He'll never leave me wherever I go. He's with me to the end. Praise the Lord. So I think the more that we bear the image of Christ to one another, we can affect one another in a positive way so that our church can deal with diatrophies. Now, diatrophies obviously was a stubborn, thick-headed bully who uh, couldn't be easily persuaded otherwise. Even John himself has to say, I've got to get there and straighten this thing out. As an apostle, to come to a diatrophy. Well, we don't have the assistance of apostles anymore. Not that we should be tolerant towards the diatrophies either. We need to act appropriately with them and deal with them according to the Scriptures so that we don't have to all bear some sort of a infirmity and have to be prayed for that our health would be good. But what we can do with one another, brothers and sisters, and that's to love one another. Love one another. There's a song that I think if we change it a little bit, it will be effective for us as a church body. And maybe this song will ring a bell with you. Reach out and touch somebody's hand and make this church a better place. If you can, do you know it? Sing with me. Reach out and touch somebody's hand. Make this world a, or this church a better place. We gotta do that one more time. Reach out and touch somebody's hand and make this church a better place. If you can. You can, brothers and sisters. You can make this place a better place. One of the benefits that we get from a book like this, peace be to you, the friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. You would think that John writing to Gaius would say, brother, get on your knees, cry, weep, you know, just get down in the dust. Wait a minute. There has to be a positive aspect to the way we're going to counteract this thing. There's still so much good in the local church there. Greet your friends by name. Know them by name. And go on for the Lord. Peace will be with you. For sure. If you have an attitude like that, reach out and touch somebody's hand and make this church a better place. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank